Well, good morning. It is good to be with you as we finalize Thanksgiving weekend together. And for those of you that may have been looking for the tall, skinny guy today, he's on the bench over here. Back from Texas after Thanksgiving with family. And if you were looking for the youth minister with the beard, he's here, but he's on the bench. So third string quarterback is in. And we're going to throw the ball down the field and play anyway. So it is good to be with you. We're, um, we're finishing our glad and generous sermon series today. And I want to start by going back to last week with an image that David left us with. And he talked about how a glad and generous church is one that has a big and messy table. And as he talked about that image last week, and we think about this church that is open and welcoming and bringing people together to share in the love of Christ, it is sometimes messy. And he pulled out a card table and we talked about what that table might look like. So ironically, as he was talking about the table, Steve and I had spent at least two hours or so of our Saturday morning moving a table out of our living room and into the garage and another table from out of our garage into the living room to make room for more people. And so this is my big and messy table. And you may look at it and you may think, Dolly, that doesn't look messy. <laughs> That's not a good image. But you may not know what was going on around the table. And when we brought this table in from the garage, I was really trying to make room for more. The kids are older, they're home from college. My stepsister was going to be there with her kids who maybe they wanna sit at the adult table now. So this table didn't have one leaf. This table has two leaves and it's a special table because it came from my friends, Lee and Nori Berger, who were getting rid of this antique table that their kids didn't want so Steve and I were gonna refinish it sometime. So we brought it into our dining room. We figured out that we could gain 19 inches of table space from this table. And maybe if we turned it around and angled it around and scooted in together, we could fit maybe as many as 11 or 12 around the table. Because it was important to me that everybody was in one room around the table together because something very different was happening at the Mills house. And for the first time in 40 years, my mother and my father would be sitting around a table together on Thanksgiving. And that can be really messy. <laughs> and it has been for a really long time. They divorced in 1978. So thus began the tradition of two Thanksgiving meals, travels to different cities. Eventually that would include stops in Meade County when I married Steve and his family had traditions as well. 
And so for us, Thanksgiving has typically been a really busy time, full of family and cooking and football, and of course, decorating Christmas trees, which we didn't just decorate our trees, it was our trees, the tree at mom's house, the tree at dad's house, and of course, the 15-foot trees that sit in the sanctuary and will be up in a few days. So we were used to Thanksgivings that were very busy. And for many of you, you may have images that are similar or different of trials and travels. So I want you to take a minute to think about a big and messy but beautiful table that you have sat around before on that holiday. There might have been an estranged child that was there, perhaps an in-law that you didn't get along with very well, a child that wouldn't stop crying, or maybe there was an empty seat around your table. But you can fill in your blank as you think about a beautiful and messy table that you've been around. And every week that we gather together, break bread and share a meal, I am reminded that God can make something beautiful out of our mess. And he offers us this never-ending abundant love that it is ours to embrace. And for that, I am very thankful. So today, the scripture that we're going to, that we're going to share together is one from 2 Corinthians. It's Paul's letter to the church in Corinthians. I'll be reading chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, so you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part, but just as he had earlier made a beginning, just as you are to excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. May God add to our understanding of his word today. So as we think about Paul's words here, it's important to make some distinctions between the church that he was referring to 
the churches of Macedonia and the church in Corinth that he was writing to in this letter. The Macedonian churches were actually north of Corinth and their communities that were desperately poor, under persecution, going through severe hardship at the time. And in fact, Paul initially did not even invite the Macedonians to participate in the offering that he was receiving because he knew about their circumstances and knew something about their capacity to give. But in verse 2, they actually pleaded for the privilege of sharing in this offering. They begged to be a part of it. Now, the churches in Corinth, on the other hand, are churches that were considered affluent. They were wealthy churches. And by what we knew of them, they had a lot to give. Yet they held something back. And so in this letter, Paul is describing the church of the Macedonians and using it to inspire the Corinthians. Because it tells us here, out of the most difficult of circumstances, that their overflowing joy produced this rich generosity and a massive concern and goodwill toward others. So they opened their lives up and gave beyond their ability. So Paul's letter should inspire us too, just like the Macedonians, whose joy was not limited based on the circumstances they were going through at the time. Our joy doesn't have to be based on our present circumstances either. Instead, we can choose joy and choose to give with an open and generous heart. And when I think about generosity, I think about this kind of open-handed living where you're living wide open to the needs of others, opening hearts and minds and lives up to those that we may encounter instead of holding on tightly to what we have. And I love what it said in verse 7 when he talks about what it looks like to excel in the grace of giving. So this is Paul's account of what the grace of giving looked like in the early church. And I started thinking about what that grace of giving looks like now. And this is someone that came to mind. His name is Brian Greenwell, and many of you know his story. Some of you may not. In July of 2016, we were able to build a Habitat house for Brian and with Brian. And he had come to our congregation after being in a really difficult time in life. He was going through rehabilitation and had a brain injury and was seeking to rebuild his life and put it back together. So this is the day that the keys were turned over to Brian for his new home, which many of your hands helped to build. And on this day, the keys were handed over and Brian's life opened up 
A few weeks after this house dedication, I was around the corner at the Walmart grocery store where Brian works. And Brian came around the corner and offered to buy my groceries, which was a kind and generous gift. I said, Brian, you don't have to do that. Thank you, but you don't have to buy my groceries. A few weeks later, my husband Steve came home and said, you know that guy Brian from church? Brian bought Steve's groceries. He snuck around the corner, stuck his card in the reader, and he bought about 50 or $60 worth of groceries for my family, just out of the goodness of his heart, not limited by his present circumstances, but just opening up his heart to give. And he was so excited that he was able to do that for Steve because it surprised me. Last weekend, we were receiving bags and bags of groceries, Thanksgiving meals that you had brought in that we would in turn distribute to local families in need. And Brian saw Bill Wilson walking around. We call it schlupping bags. I don't know if that's really a word or not, but schlupping bags of groceries. There were over 600 meals delivered. Brian walks out the door on a Sunday morning, walks down to Walmart, goes to talk to the manager to secure about 10 baskets from Walmart because he saw a need and he took he wasted no time in finding a way to go meet that need he finds joy in serving others in any way that he can and I've got to believe that he has received the blessing of what it feels like to excel in the grace of giving this past summer, I had the awesome opportunity to travel to Belize on a mission trip with my daughter, Peyton. We went on a mission trip with Hand in Hand Ministries, and we left Louisville with a team really knowing no one. But knowing that we were flying to Dallas, where we would meet our friend, Petey Cotilli, where we would connect together at the airport, because he was coming from St. Louis and would in turn travel with us to Belize. He'd been there four or five times and knew what he was doing, and we had some confidence in knowing that there would be a familiar face when we got to Dallas. But Petey wasn't there. So we got on the plane, went on to Belize. Petey still wasn't there. To make a long story short, 17 hours later, Petey finally gets on a plane to head toward Belize. Coming from St. Louis, they were delayed with some, some problems with the aircraft. He spent 17 hours in the Dallas airport and was eventually routed to Oklahoma City, which is in the other direction, where he sat on a tarmac for three hours only to return to Dallas where he would meet a friend who told him that the safest and best place to get some rest 
in the Dallas-Fort Worth airport was the airport chapel. So, Petey pushes about five or six padded chairs together, spends the night in an airport chapel, and I can only imagine that a 25-year-old young man by himself in the Dallas airport could not have found a lot of joy in that experience at the time. But somehow, sometimes through our adversity, God is able to reach us in a way that is different. Sometimes we're able to stop long enough to gain a new perspective. And when Petey traveled to Belize, he arrived not on Sunday with the rest of us, but Monday afternoon, shows up on the work site, hammer in hand and ready to go. I'll never forget that first night sitting around the table, sharing our stories, our highs and lows, and what we had experienced. Petey said, God revealed to me that our perspective of our circumstances determines our happiness. And I remember thinking, those are really wise words from that young man. And I stopped, and I took the time to write that in my journal. We would continue on with the build that week, and nothing could have prepared me for the conditions of poverty that we would encounter in Belize. Living conditions that would make you cry. But despite that, we saw this amazing joy and this richness in the community that the people in Belize experienced with one another. And perhaps our best day on the work site was one where we didn't work as hard, but we got to spend more time with the kids. And on this next slide, you'll see they're wearing big sunglasses, which are our sunglasses, and finding so much joy in being together, working together, serving together, people coming out from across the street, from the neighborhood, from across town to serve together and share in the building of this home. And the picture on the right is a little girl named Jelly C who's one of the little girls that we were building for, and she's holding in her hand a scrap piece of wood that we would paint the colors of the house, and they would be blocks that, that they could use. And instead of finding, you know, a place that seems desolate, actually was abounding in joy. And Petey describes it better than I could today. He said... The children in Belize are living proof that your perspective of your circumstances determine your happiness. Like the majority of people in Belize City, they live a life of poverty, but their absence of material possessions has little impact on the happiness of their day-to-day -day life. And if we are going to grow glad and generous hearts among one another, it's important that we gain perspective about our own circumstances. 
just realizing the magnitude of the grace that God makes available to us and pours out on us. Just to grasp the amazing height and depth of the love that he has for all people. He pours out unmerited favor that we don't even deserve. He chooses to shower his blessings upon us. And we are so blessed that sometimes we don't always see our blessings. This past week, I was inspired by the story of a woman in our congregation who was able to look beyond her present circumstances and find a comforting peace that could only come from a deep faith in a graceful God. Because she was undergoing cancer treatment for inoperable cancer earlier this year, and she was in a deep, dark hole. She described it to me like a kind of fog where she didn't really fully know what was happening around her. Couldn't fully talk, couldn't really walk, couldn't smell, didn't want to eat anything, really didn't want to be around people. And this went on for several weeks. But she talked to God in that time a lot. And her conversation went something along these lines. God, if it's not my time now, then I need you to tell me what you want me to learn from this. I'm struggling. I want to make sure that I hear and understand what you want me to do. Just tell me, God, if I get through it, I will listen. I will do whatever it is that you ask of me. Now, I don't think her answer came quickly because she was in the hospital for several, several weeks. But her answer eventually came. And here she is today, and her fog has lifted. And out of the darkest of places, she was able to choose joy and find a hope that she could hold on to and find that deeper kind of perspective and purpose that she was seeking when she laid in that hospital bed talking to God. And she had this saying that she coined while she was in the hospital, if they can treat it, I can beat it. And today there are hundreds of these t-shirts in circulation. They're in local hospitals. They're in local cancer wards. They're in some different places across the country, too, because they've been shipped there as well. They're in the back of Paula's car because she hands them out at the grocery store. She hands them out to people that she meets. She's kind of a cheerleader to those that are undergoing treatment or cancer survivors. There's a box in Melvin's office in case we need to hand someone out. 
There's even a t-shirt in London, England, along with a basket full of cards that women in her small group sent because she knows what it means to receive not a basket of cards, but a bushel of cards that many of you wrote, notes of love and encouragement and support that came from the local community, church, school, friends. That's the kind of hope that she found that she could hold on to. So today, there is no telling how many lives this woman has touched. She is letting God use her in a way that is slightly different now. She's always been an encourager. She's a former school teacher, always has a smile on her face, but God has given her a deep purpose. And that is a woman that has gained a rich perspective of her current circumstances. But you know what? She still has cancer. She has metastatic breast cancer that she will be undergoing treatment for for the rest of her life. But despite that, she wakes up every day determined that she's going to beat it, grateful for the abundant life that she's living now, thankful for the friends and family that surround her, thankful for the access to medical care and a cancer drug that is prayed over and shipped all the way from California that allows her to be in remission today. So instead of choosing to live this life out of fear, she's living an abundant life out of gratitude. So imagine what it would look like if we were to all live out of that kind of abundance. What could we do if we were to each gain the experience what it looks like to excel in the grace of giving, opening ourselves up to what God wants to do in us and through us, reminders of opening our hands and hearts to others. Just imagine the kind of stories we could tell, the lives we might reach when we lean into what God is already doing here. As we live out of our abundance, and just watch the amazing blessings that will continue to flow from his hand.